Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Great. Good morning. How are we doing, guys? Good to see everybody this morning. If, um, if I haven't personally met you, uh, special welcome. We love that you would take any time out of your schedule to come and um, just worship God with us. Uh, we just really feel honored whenever, whenever anybody comes to uh, hang out with us in the morning. Um, so yeah, just really excited to be with you guys. I wasn't in the pulpit last week. I was enjoying a week off. Um, so just like, uh, like Wendy was saying, what we've been doing, uh, here from the pulpit in our teaching is we have been, uh, fo- having our teachings follow what you guys, uh, most of you are doing in, uh, Rooted. And if you haven't been, uh, a part of Rooted yet, that's okay. But, uh, hopefully we've made these sermons applicable to all of us. And so this week, uh, just like Wendy was saying, we are going to, uh, be Dealing with the topic of how does God view our money? That was, that's the literal title in your rooted curriculum. How does God view our money? And today what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about putting first things first, putting first things first. And I want to start first by sharing with you a story about, um, probably about 13 or 14 years ago, uh, Molly and I and the kids were living in Elgin, Illinois. And uh, one of the things that we would do when our kids were younger is we would take them to Dairy Queen. And um, and there was a Dairy Queen in East Dundee, uh, right on a very, very busy road. And in the summertime, we would go and we'd take the kids and, uh, and you know, give them ice cream as a way of, like, you know, kind of getting the craziness out of them. And, um, and on this particular, uh, you know, day that we were sitting outside at a, at a picnic table, uh, the, the Dairy Queen is situated on this really, really busy road and there's a stoplight right there and the traffic moves really quickly. And, uh, there's actually a bike path there. And as I was sitting there watch, uh, eating my ice cream, I watched this little kid who looked to be about 10 years old, um, racing towards the intersection and he was trying to beat, uh, the light. And as I'm watching this happen, I was thinking, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he raced across the intersection and the traffic left and a car hit that kid. Uh, now he is okay. He is okay today. So I want you to know that as I share that. However, as soon as that happened, I ran out there and got down on my hands and knees and put my hand on him. And I said, you know, he was like trying to get up. And I said, don't move. And I started praying over him and talking with him and things like that. And um, and so as I was doing this, a worker from DQ came running up and he said, sir. And I was just focused on this little kid uh, and his, you know, bike was... 20 feet away or whatever, and I'm kind of talking to him, and I'm reassuring him, and I'm praying for him, and the DQ person said, sir, and I'm talking to the kid, and finally he said, sir, and I said, what? And he said, do you want another ice cream cone? <laughs> because I had taken my ice cream cone and plopped it on the ground, and I looked at him, and I said, can I just deal with the child that has been hit? And I said, you can give me another ice cream cone later, you know, it's like, 
So the point is, is that I wanted to deal with what was most important. I wanted to deal with what was first and not with, not with what was second and what was much less important. And today, I want to talk about putting the things that matter the most first, putting first things first, because sometimes in the sort of tumult and speed of life, we can get sucked into not putting first things first, not making the things that are most important happen first, right? And so today we're going to be talking about what I believe is actually the most important principle regarding money. Um, and as you guys probably know, almost half of Jesus's parables were on the topic of money. Uh, as a matter of fact, back in the spring, we, uh, we did a sermon series on the topic of wisdom and we actually talked about money. And, and, um, one of the things that I, I actually encouraged you to do two things back then. One of them was to be generous, like Wendy was saying with people around us. And the other thing that I encouraged us to do is to get out of debt. I don't know if you recall that or not. But in that teaching, what I was trying to to challenge you guys with was the idea that as we honor God, as we follow the wisdom of the Bible, we will be blessed. But here's something that I noticed about us pastors, Uh, and you might not realize it, but all of us pastors do something, almost all of us, and that is, is that I've noticed that it's so much easier to talk about what God thinks about money and talk about what the Bible says about money if I can talk about it in a way that sells to you the idea that you're going to be blessed if you do this, right? For us pastors, it is so much easier to discuss money if I can sell the blessings and the benefits to you of honoring God in it, right? And when I do that, what I realize is that I'm actually not putting first things first. I'm reversing it. And I'm making our uh, expression of worship with our money all about us, right? And I know for sure that almost all of you guys, maybe all of you, want to honor God with all of your lives. I know that about you. I know that you care about worshiping him with every part of you. And so in some ways, I feel like I've, I've gotten the cart before the horse or I've done us a disservice by, by talking about money all the time as if it's all about how you can pull out more blessing from God. But I know, you guys, that God knows your heart. He knows your heart to honor him, right? And so Rooted sort of wonderfully brings us to this place where we can put things in right order. And that's what I want to do today because, because we will be blessed if we do that. And unfortunately, as I'm scouring scripture, it's hard for me to talk about being faithful with money without God sort of blessing us no matter what, right? But it's not anything that I want to, I, I don't want to put the blessing first. It's almost as if we can't escape it though, right? And so James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Matthew chapter seven, verse 11. And actually I felt like this was a conversation because in my regular reading, I was uh, in the book of Matthew in chapter seven and I forgot that I'd had this in my, in my notes. And, and this is something that I read just in my devotional time, but it says this. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And so as children of God, we cannot escape the blessing of God, right? But I want to uh, challenge us to actually start to think about our, our, our finances as worship 
to him, not so that we will be blessed, but so that he will be blessed. And sometimes I think that we forget about that. And I wish that I had like a ginormous wad of cash that I could just like put up here on the stage for everybody to look at. Because for us, our finances are an expression of worship. They're an expression of adoration to God. They're an expression of just giving God our all, just in the same way that we give him our all in our song and the way we, that we give, give him our all in uh, our, the rest of our lives. And so my call for us today is to put things in right order, order and to honor God with our finances and then with our whole lives because when we do that, he will be honored. That's first. And secondly, by a long shot, secondly, we will also be blessed in that. Does that make sense? You with me? Okay. So our key scripture today is Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. And it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And so our key statement today is honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. And so um, I want you guys to know that's a lot of the wisdom that I'm going to be sharing with you today. I drew from a guy named Robert Morris, who I believe is one of the best pastoral thinkers in the topic of finances. And so if you want to look him up or read any of his books, they will be really, really helpful to you. So uh, our, our, our key statement again, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. And so if I were to put that in today's terms, right, I would probably uh, say it like this, honor God with your income with the very first part of everything that comes into your house. And the key part of this, you guys, is the word first. You're going to hear the word first all morning today. Throughout all of scripture, God demands and deserves to be first in all of our lives, doesn't he? Would you agree with that? That he ought to be first in everything. He will not share. He will not come in second, right? It's either you know, burning hot or cold, but lukewarm, forget about it, right? So he will only be first. It's first or nothing. And when we orient him in our lives, that way, when he becomes first in all things, everything is made right. Suddenly, we become oriented to God in the way that will build a foundation underneath us that will provide strength and will provide life for us where we can thrive and we can grow because God is where he belongs on the throne of every part of our lives and particularly today in the, in, on the throne of our finances. So I want to share with you, uh, I want to back this up with some scripture. You're going to hear a lot of scripture today, okay? Uh, but I want to give you a few firsts when we hear about firsts in scripture. So Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says, seek First, right? His kingdom and his righteousness and everything will be added to you. Exodus chapter 22 verse 29 says, you shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 35. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of, of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests 
to the chambers of the house of our God and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes from in all of our towns where we labor. And then one more. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. This is one that probably many of you guys know. It's sort of the most famous one. And again, this is one of those where we just, it's like, you know, I don't want to talk about you being blessed, but God wants to bless you anyway. So again, so I just have to lean into it. But it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And we're going to actually get to a scripture uh, in the book of Acts where we see the first church, the early church coming together and we'll see a picture of exactly that where there was no need among them, right? And so I want to dig into these scriptures uh, and I, I want to look at the terms that we're, that we're reading here, okay? And so the first term uh, that we're going to hear about is this idea of first fruits, right? First fruits. And what first fruits means, first fruits means to bring to God the first and the best portion of our harvest, or in our case, to bring to God the first and the best portion of our income. And here's what happens when we give God our first, when we give God our first fruits, right? A couple of things happen. First of all, when we do that, we're acknowledging something mostly to us, maybe to other people, but mostly we're telling ourselves that God is actually the owner and the provider and the giver of all things. In other words, everything that you have, it's all God's. It all belongs to him. It all came from him. And so it's sort of a declaration to us that it all comes from God, right? And the second thing is, is that we do when we, when we send the first to him is we put a stake in the ground that says, my trust and my hope is not in my money and it's not in my skills and it's not in what I can earn. My trust and my hope is in God alone. I'm declaring that to myself. Usually, again, it's not about what other people know. They won't know anything about this. This is between you and your heart and the Lord, right? And so in, in, in some way, Giving God our first fruits is just like what we did with little Alex. It's dedicating our finances, all of our finances to God and putting all of it into his hands. When we dedicate the first, he takes all of it. It comes under his authority, right? Does that make sense? So the question then is, is well, how much do we give him? Do we have to give him all of it back because it's all his? Well, scripturally, that's not exactly what we see. Most often what we see is God calling us to give a, you know what the word is? A portion or a tithe, right? What does tithe mean for those of you that that have kicked around this? What's tithe? 10, right? So it's 10%, 10%. And so the, the word says, bring a full tithe into the storehouse, right? And it turns out, you guys, for some reason... I'm not exactly sure why, and I wish I had more time to to kind of uh, uh, like unfold this for you, but I don't have the time. But for some reason, God is more blessed by percentages than he is by sums. And I'm not sure why. He cares more about a percentage than he cares about the number of zeros behind your gift, right? Pastors care about zeros. God cares about percentages, right? And so in other words, if you were to give $50, uh, and that $50 represented a tithe of your income, that would actually be a greater blessing to God, from what I can tell, than someone who gave $500, and it just represents some, like, fraction, some, you know, 
thing that they just wanted to do. For some reason, God is most honored when we give him that first percentage, that first 10%. Here's another thing that I learned as I was working on this. Do you know that nowhere in scripture does it ever say give to God your tithe or your offering? It doesn't say that. It always says bring. Bring to God. Bring him, right? So bring me the full tithe in Malachi 3.10. Bring me the first fruits in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 35. And the reason, again, that he says bring it to me is because in his mind, it belongs to him. Your resources are his. We can't give what we don't own, right? That's why he says bring. Now, uh, in the Kiefer family, when our oldest kid, Aiden, who's 22, uh, when he turned 16, uh, I bought an old 2004 Jeep from my mom and dad. And uh, we decided that this old Jeep, rather than uh, our kids using our nice cars, we were going to let them use the old Jeep from mom and dad, right? And so I bought this car. And I knew that Aiden would use it in year year one, and then Aiden and Cole would use it. And now all three of our kids use the old Jeep, right? And so they use it, and it's great. It's disgusting. You'll never want to sit in that car, I promise you. But that's the car that they use. But on any day, if I'm taking my car in to get it fixed or get the oil changed, and I, I come to them, I might say to them, hey, I need to use the red Jeep because my car is in the shop. What I don't do is I don't ask them for permission. I don't do that. And the reason I don't say, is it okay if I use the red Jeep? I don't do that because I own the red Jeep. They get to use it, but I own it. In the same way, that's the way that God sees our finances. He doesn't ask or beg us or plead with us. Can I please have a little bit? He owns it. And so he says, bring me the tithe. You guys with me on that? Okay. All right, so um, I want to share something with you guys that I think is completely cool. And the reason I think it's really cool, it's because something has bothered me in the scripture forever. And I bet it's bothered some of you guys as well. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of scripture, uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Okay, so here's what has been bothering me for so long. Do you guys recall, so Cain and Abel, uh, Adam and Eve had two boys, Cain and Abel, they didn't get along that well. Right? So they had a little bit of bad blood between them. And what the issue was is that if you recall, in the very beginning, it says that Cain and Abel both made an offering to God. Do you recall this? Right? So Cain gave God an offering of the harvest. He was a farmer and he grew crops. And so he gave God an offering of his crops. Abel, on the other hand, was a a herder or a rancher. And so he gave God a burnt offering of some of his flock. Right? And I I know you guys know this, that for some reason, God seemed to love Abel's offering, but he did not like Cain's offering. And I never knew why it is that God rejected Cain's offering, but he received Abel's offering. It always bothered me. Have you guys, did it ever kind of, did you ever wonder about that? Okay, well, we're going to get to the bottom of it right now. So it says this in chapter, uh, Genesis chapter four, verse three and four. It says this, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, right? And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. He didn't like it. And so Cain was very angry and his face fell. 
And so Abel's offering, uh, God liked, and Cain's offering, God didn't like. But why? Well, here's why. And it has everything to do with this little phrase, in the course of time, right? What that meant was that at some point, at just some random point over time, Cain decided to give God some offering of his flock or of his fruits, right? So we don't know when, but at some point, Cain just decided, I'm going to give God an offering. But what did Abel do? Abel gave God the first He gave him the firstborn of his flock. He gave him the first and the best. And that was the difference between those two offerings. God only receives the first. And because uh, God was just an afterthought to Cain, because it just came at some point when he decided to do that, God rejected that offering. But he received Abel's offering because Abel gave the first and the best. And from the very beginning, God always was honored by getting our first because he's so glorious, because he's so exalted. And anything less, I want to say to us, anything less than our first and anything less than our best is unworthy of him. It's unworthy of him. If you know the heart of God and you know the character of God and the glory of God and how he's been faithful to you and I, then we know that if we don't give him our first, that we are giving less than what he deserves. So let's talk about where we bring this tithe, these first fruits. Well, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 36 says, also uh, to bring your first fruits to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, right? Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23 says, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, to the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored and eat it there in his presence. This applies to the tithes of your grain, your new wine, olive oil, the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. And this is key. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Doing this will teach you to revere. That's what that word means, to honor God. When we bring the tithe to the storehouse, when we bring the tithe to the designated place of worship, church, here, What God is doing is he's teaching us how to honor him in a way that he probably can't teach us in any other way. And again, why does he do this? Why does he ask us to bring this tithe? Why does he ask us to do do it first? Why does he kind of designate all of the terms? Like, why can't we just give to Compassion International when we want to? Why can't we just give to Cancer Society if that's what we feel like doing? It's because anything other than this keeps us as Lord of our finances. Anything other than this makes us the decision maker. And as George Bush would say, the decider, right? We become the decider of where our finances go. And God says, I'm the one that decides. I'm the one. I'm the one that resources all of you. And one of the things that I read in our uh, in the Rooted book this week that you are going to encounter, which I think is so good and so powerful is this. The statement goes like this. The author, and I don't know who the author is, but they said, Giving isn't God's way of raising money. It's, it's his way of raising surrendered hearts. Giving isn't God's way of raising money. It's his way of raising surrendered hearts. And when we give God our first fruits, it is worship and honor to him. And it's his way of building trust in us, right? Because there will come a day when you will not be able to get yourself out of trouble. 
There will come a day when your intellect will fail you. There will come a day when your resources will fail you, where you have nothing left. And on that day, it is God's hope, and it's my hope, that before that day comes, that you will have learned how to trust in him completely. And the idea is, is that if we can trust in him with our finances, we can darn near trust in him with anything because our money is so close to our hearts. Does that make sense? If we can learn there, we can learn it everywhere. Now, I want to say this, and this is a humongous declarative stake in the ground caveat, okay? And it's not really even a caveat. It's just something I want to say to you. We are not under the law. You are not under the law. You are not compelled by me or by Molly or any one of us here. I am happy to report to you that you actually are a generous group of people. I'm happy to report to you that we are in fine financial shape. As a matter of fact, this church has never been in any major kind of need. We've never not been able, been able to hire the person that we need to hire. We've never been, not been able to, to do the ministry that we feel God calling us to do. So this isn't coming from a need at Thrive. And it's not coming certainly from a need with God, right? And so I want to say to you that this is not coming from a place of of condemnation. It's not coming from a place of you have to. It's a place of you get to. It's a place of God inviting you to be obedient to him, right? And so I don't want you, like there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for any one of you. But Here's the, here's the, the, the sticky wicket, and it's this, that if any one of us decides to step out from underneath God's guidelines, if we step out from underneath his authority, he'll just let you. If you want to make it on your own with that extra amount, that extra 10%, he will absolutely let you do that. You can fight for your own existence for the rest of your life, and that, that's something that God will honor. But I personally have decided I don't want to go anywhere near that. I want to put all of my trust in him. And I just say, God, you have to provide. My life is in your hands. I'm trusting in you. So a couple of things and then we'll be done. Is tithing just an Old Testament thing? Is tithing just like a, a law thing? I know that some of us might be wondering that. And it's a really good question. It's something that we should think about. And I want to say to us that, after studying the scripture kind of cover to cover and doing some research, I do not believe it is just a law thing. I believe it is a us thing, a New Testament thing, a biblical thing. Okay. And so at the very beginning, back in Genesis, I'll give you an example of how tithing happened before the law. It happened during the law and it happened after the law. Back in Genesis, we see Abraham, Father Abraham, he had this encounter with this really mysterious figure named Melchizedek, right? Anybody know about this guy? So Melchizedek, we don't know exactly what he was, but he was sort of like this high priestly figure. And it turns out that Melchizedek is most likely Jesus himself manifesting himself to Abraham, right? And so when Abraham encounters this amazing person, whoever this Melchizedek was, who was actually Jesus, Abraham bows down and worships him and worships him with a tithe of everything that he has. And so the author of Hebrews writes about this um, in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. And I have to tell you, for some reason, the way it's written, you're going to have to read it on your own because every time I read it, I butcher. It's like, I don't know, but let's just read this together and see if we can get through it. So it says this, for this Melchizedek, this king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom 
Also, Abraham apportioned a tenth of all the spoils, was first of all, this king, was first of all, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he was also king of Salem, short for Jerusalem, right? King of Salem, which is the king of peace. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. And so, so Melchizedek is this Jesus figure, and long before the law ever got there, there is worship to him by an expression of offering him a tithe, 10%, right? Secondly, it might surprise you to know that Jesus actually encouraged us to tithe. Now, I don't know if you know that or not, but in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, it says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And so Jesus taught us, yes, tithe, but make sure that you do the more important things, which is manifesting the heart and the character of God, right? Finally, I'll give you something from the Acts Church, Like, and I mentioned this earlier. So in the Acts Church, we studied this during the course of the summer, and we read about how uh, the church was being birthed, and people would get together, and the Holy Spirit would fall on them, and there was like incredible favor and power and unity and love in these meetings, right? And the money was an important part of this, to be honest with you. And so in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says this. This is a description of what was happening. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. And they were right. So they shared everything that they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Remember, that was a promise from earlier. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, they weren't tithing. They were going beyond the tithe, right? But what's interesting is that when we see the church birth, it wasn't just like everybody had a generous heart and a generous spirit, and they just sort of shot their money wherever they wanted to. It says, no, that they brought their money to the gathering, to the church, right? And so I say all that to say, I just don't want you to think that this tithing thing is relegated to the Old Testament or it's relegated to the law and it's something that should be ignored because in fact, it is for us today and it will be a beautiful and powerful biblical expression of honor and love and obedience to God. And I believe that this act of tithing, the way it's worked out in Molly's life and mine, is it will set you free, just the way that that uh, Wendy was talking about. Now, I know that um, that, first of all, I know that Probably lots of you guys are doing an amazing job with this, and I'm proud of you. Uh, I'm proud of the stance that you've taken, and I'm sure that you could get up here and share an amazing testimony about that. But I also know that this is this this area, it's kind of just mucky. It's, it can be fraught with peril. It can just bring up a lot of fear in us, fear for our future, fear that we're going to be okay, fear that we're going to make it, and things like that. And so I just want you guys to know that God knows what is in your heart. He knows your desire to please him, and he knows about the, the fear stuff that gets stirred up in you. And we're actually we're going to pray through some of that stuff. But what I wanted to do, I was actually having uh, lunch with Dwight 
uh, back there, and he was sharing, I don't know how, how we even talked about it, but he was sharing something about how he's been blessed financially. Well, not blessed financially, but blessed because uh, he and Nancy have, have uh, made decisions to, to, to bring the full tithe. And so I asked these guys to come and to share that. Where's the mic? Oh, there. So this is Dwight and Nancy. They are beloved in this church. Can we, yeah, there we go. <laughs> there you go. I'm just going to start by saying that I didn't even know about tithing until about 15 years ago. And uh, the church I was at, the pastor preached about tithing. And I was like, I was surprised. I was like, I'd never even heard of this. I never heard of tithing. And so I talked to my pastor about it. And he said, well, just, you know, start gradually increasing your giving. And so I started doing that until I reached my goal and so that I was tithing. And, and I have to say, I continued tithing even as a single parent with three boys. I had some hard times and even had some unemployment. But it, I just continued doing that. It just carried me through. And so then when Dwight and I were planning to get married, we talked about tithing. And I said... You know, I was very diplomatic. We're going to tithe. <laughs> and, so, and so we started our marriage by tithing, and we've been tithing. And so there was a journey then there for, uh, for Dwight with that. All right, I'll try to keep it short, but I don't know if I can. Um, so I'm almost 65. Two more, two more months, and at the age of 53. Much older than me. <laughs> the age of 53. The Lord looked at me and said, how am I going to change this guy's heart regarding tithing and generosity? This is what the Lord said. I'm going to send this man an angel in the form of a woman and she will be your wife. I'll tell you what. I had years and years of fear regarding money. But the Lord always provided. I grew up thinking we were poor. I, um, over the years, I knew about tithing. I, I can't do that. How can I do that? You know, I had a family, college, and so forth. And... Um, Lo and behold, when I met Nancy, um, within second date, she says, are you a saver or a spender? I said, oh, I'm a saver. She said, high five to saving. And then I kind of thought, hmm, we're kind of on the same page about this money thing. Um, and then we got engaged. And then, like she said, after we got engaged, she says, we're going to tithe, right, when we get married? And I thought... Yeah, we're going to tithe when we get married. I'm kind of like that. And I'm thinking in my, in my heart, I'm like, oh, no, I don't know if I can do that. I, lo and behold, after we got married, we did begin to tithe. And as time went on, I, the fear just escaped from me. The Lord just took that fear away from me. As I was, we were both being obedient to the Lord he, he, a stronghold, I call it a stronghold that I had for years, was just taken away. Just completely taken away. And I just felt so blessed to be able to tithe. And we, we blessed the Lord. 
but it gave me joy. And one more thing, um, above and beyond the tithe, there's this thing called generosity. And every, and you know, I'd go to the, the, the restaurants and be a regimented tipper. I mean, it was 5, 10, 15. I calculated to, to perfection based on service, right? Before taxes. Before taxes. And so now it's interesting. I can go to the restaurant. <laughs> she makes me laugh. I can go to the restaurant, and sometimes I just get compelled, and the, and the Lord lays it on my heart. Hey, give this person more and 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 that makes my day i'll i'll just be feel so much joy because i've seen that joy from that person in receipt and so um anyway all right that was awesome thank you guys love hearing from those guys so so here's what i would encourage you to do um, no matter where you're at, this is just a good time. It's just a good time to check back in with the Lord. It's just a good time to say, God, I really, really want to honor you. I really want to honor you. This is important. It's important to you, and it's hugely important to me. Um, and so if you're a person that is already doing this, like Dwight and Nancy or Molly and I, um, I just want to encourage, I want to bless you. And I just, you know, maybe the Lord is wanting to take you to that next level, whatever that would be. Maybe it's just generosity with restaurant people. Maybe it's adding a percent. Maybe it, the Lord is just saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Just rest, rest in this, you know, I don't know what he'll do. But for those of us, if, if this is speaking to you, if the Lord is speaking, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, um, but for you, Getting from wherever it is that you're at to this this concept of a full tithe, if that is just as freaky to you as it was to Dwight, then um, I, I agree with with Nancy's old pastor. I would encourage you, first of all, whatever it is, if you're a person that gives consistently here, but you don't know what percentage it is, I want you to calculate the percent. Even if you don't change your giving at all, but I want you to know what percent of your income is being devoted to the Lord. I think it's important to Him. And if, 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 if 10% is just way too much for you, if you want to start with 1%, that's a great start. You'll be devoting the first fruits of your life to the Lord. And that will make me excited. It will honor the Lord. And I believe it will set you free. And then what I would ask you to do is if there's some sort of a gap, then I would encourage you in your heart, to make a goal of getting there. That's it. Just make a goal of getting to that place. Say, God, this is something that I'm striving for. It's something that I want because I want to honor you in this area. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay, I want to pray for you. Why don't we stand up? Because I think there's a, a, a spiritual component here. If you guys are comfortable, why don't you just close your eyes. We're just going to spend some time with the Lord. I, I believe that the, that the Lord so, so, so desperately wants to set some of us free here. And if you're, um, if you're anything like me, there is a thing called a poverty mindset. There's a thing called a poverty spirit. It's actually, there's a spirit behind some of this stuff. It's something that I grew up in. And I want to just 
deal with that right now. The poverty mindset tells us that we have to claw and keep and it keeps us in bondage. The poverty mindset tells us that we will not be okay, that our future is uncertain. Yet God says that I have you, I have your life, I have your future in my good hands, my safe hands. I'm a father that gives good gifts. And so Lord, right now, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and minister to every person in this room right now. And I just pray that you would speak whatever is on your heart. If it's just words of encouragement, then give encouragement. If it's well done, good and faithful servants, speak those words. If it is conviction or challenge or just a word of like, I'm going to set you free right now. And if you're a person that, uh, that feels that resonates with that concept of a poverty spirit or a poverty mindset, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. But in your heart, in the interior of your life, I do want you to raise your hand and say, that's something I'm struggling with right now. And Lord, um, I just pray for every person in here that struggles with fear of their future, fear about finances, fear about anything, Lord. We just speak to that poverty spirit and we bind it and we cast it out in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would lavish care and love and provision and protection, Lord, over every one of us. And I pray that you would give us a a vision and a heart to just honor you and worship you with our first fruits, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, just touch us now.